morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Howdy. It's 10, 11 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is July the 1st, 2019. This is episode 114 of Bitcoin and... And we got a correction. Well, I don't even know if it's really technically a correction, but wake, waking up to some solid red red action going on on Bitcoin. So you broke, I don't know, got almost all, all the way up to almost 14,000. And then immediately when it got there, it started diving down. It blo- you know, it's I guess it would be considered a classic blow off top. Um, nothing like we saw in... Um, at the end of 20, was it 2017? But still, I mean, it's, I don't know, man, it's kind of, I guess this thing goes fractal in nature. Um, Let's see, who who do we have up here in the stack? Oh, oh, uh, before we even start getting into that, I'm going on vacation starting on Friday. All right. So I'm going to be in the mountains of Southwest Colorado uh, for, I don't know, almost, uh, almost two weeks, not not quite. So um, I'm going to try, I uh, can't promise anything, but I'm going to try to get some uh, reruns up to uh, auto-release because where I'm going to be, uh, I'm not going to have any kind of, you know, like any any computer access other than what I would be able to do on my phone. And yeah, so I'm not going to be able to, I, I, would, I would love to be able to just have like a, a suitcase that, could carry everything I would need to do a podcast. I just don't, I don't, you know, I'm just not going to like plow through thousands of, you know, a couple of thousand dollars to get, you know, a a laptop and all that kind of stuff. One of these days I will, but for now, uh, this year, uh, I'm going to run some, uh, some of the older ones, uh, probably do black. I did a show about, uh, Bitcoin and black locust trees and Bitcoin and, uh, bamboo and using it as a shield against sun as a fast growing shield against sun and uh, why you would want to do things like that. And and some other more ecological stuff that I did back in the, in the early days in either event. Um, let's now uh, get on into the stack. Uh, Nelson Rosario at Nelson M Rosario is tweeting out. We have the first blockchain related patent infringement lawsuit. Coinbase is being sued, and this was on June the 28th, and he's got a screenshot here of uh, the, uh, let's see, AnuWave LLC versus Coinbase Incorporated. Mm. So the plaintiff is AnuWave, that's A-N-U-W-A-V-E, and I, I think, I guess the the people from there are going to be Stamulus and Weinblatt, and I don't know, there's a couple of other people here listed. Um, they are suing uh, 
They're suing because they're saying that the method and system to enable communications through SMS communication channel, apparently they got a patent or they say they got a patent on. But I mean, let's see what else that Nelson has to say about that. He says, note, the patent being asserted is not a blockchain patent. Instead, the patent relates to SMS communication. And then he gives a the uh, patents.google.com uh, address. But we're not going to look at that because pat- reading a patent, reading pat- patent things are, are really, really boring. But he also goes on to say in, in the last part of this uh, tweet, uh, tweet thread, it says, additionally, it looks like this was asserted in another lawsuit back in 2015. So it looks like Anywave may just be the first of, you know, the first uh, shots across the bow of patent trolling uh, all over the place. Expect a lot more of this. The thing that does surprise that so it doesn't surprise me that this happened. Two things do surprise me that it hasn't happened yet. That apparently this is like the first died in the wool case of, of this kind of thing going on. Um, and the fact that it wasn't CSW, which will all clearly we're going to visit CSW later on in the show. But anyway, I, you know, go ahead and expect more of this bullshit because this bullshit is going to be with us for a while. Okay, so getting back into it, Amazon-owned Twitch reinstates Bitcoin payments. This was out of Blockchain Daily News. Uh, June the 27th, they write, Amazon-owned Twitch utilizes BitPay as its uh, payment processor, allowing users to pay with BTC and BCH for Twitch subscriptions. Similarly to the removal because they did remove it at one point or another. The reinstallation of cryptocurrency payments has not been announced in a press release or in the company's blog. Yesterday, Cash App from San Francisco-based company Square also enabled Bitcoin deposits. Bitcoin recently broke through $13,000 yesterday after trading sideways between $3,000 and $4,000 for a majority of Q1 2019, crypto derivative trading platform BitMEX stated they experienced a new all-time high in volume earlier today. So there, there you go. Twitch apparently is, has reinstated uh, cryptocurrency payments, but they're using the wrong thing. Instead of using BitPay, they should be using BTC Pay Server. Okay. One of the largest men in finance, and I mean that literally, is saying that central banks may issue digital currencies sooner than we think. Daniel Palmer, writing as of today out of Coindesk.com, says, After issuing comments and reports heavily critical of cryptocurrencies over the last few years, Augustin Karstens, chief of the Bank of International Sandwiches, I mean settlements, has acknowledged that central banks will likely soon need to issue their own digital currencies. God. Just the capitulation. (laughs) Speaking to the Financial Times on Sunday, Karsten said that that BIS, which acts like a central bank for central banks, is supporting global central banks' efforts to research and develop digital currencies based on national fiat currencies, of course, because that's the only flavor that they know, so they can't stomach to try anything new. A number of central banks are engaged in such work, and we are working on it, supporting them, Karsten said. Further, the arrival of such products <coughs> might just be around the corner if there is clear evidence 
of demand from the public. According to Karstens, quote, it might be that it is sooner than we think that there is a market and we need to be able to provide central bank digital currencies, end quote. The comments came uh, come soon after Facebook's unveiling of its planned Libra cryptocurrency made headlines and shook regulators worldwide. As the prospect of a tech firm with users in the billions launching its own money potentially poses a threat to state currencies. France's finance minister has said that Libra must not be allowed to become a sovereign currency. Over in the United States, Congresswoman Maxine Waters has asked Facebook to halt development of Libra network until hearings can be held. BIS itself name-checked Facebook in its latest annual report, expressing fears that initiatives like Libra pose a long-term threat to central banks' control of money. Quote, regulators need to ensure a level playing field between big tech and banks, taking into account big tech's wide customer base, access to information, and broad-ranging business models, end quote. Talking to the Financial Times, Carstens again addressed the Facebook issue, quote, The issue is how will the currency be used? Here we go. Will there be discovery of information or data that can be used in credit provision? And how how will data privacy be protected? He said, adding that a simple way to regulate such cryptocurrency networks is to start addressing immediate and very obvious money laundering concerns. Yeah, it was bound to come out. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, to me, it's like, I read this as fear that, and more of like a bumbling fear, not like a, like a dyed in the wool, totally backed into the corner. This is, you know, kind of fear. This seems to be the kind of fear that starts when you start getting backed into a corner. You start thinking about which fist you're going to throw at your attack uh, attacker. You start looking around for ways out this is what this looks like to me. And he's absolutely correct. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of Libra. I, because not because I don't like Facebook and Libra's a shit coin or will be a shit coin if it ever gets released. And that, that's a huge, you know, that's, there's a big chance that it might not, you never know. Um, Facebook for as big as it is, is going to be under a lot of thumbs. And there's no guarantee that Libra gets launched. And even, but if it does, it's a shit coin. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's just a shit coin. But the, the whole, uh, the whole thing, what he was saying about tech companies having a user base that numbers in the millions and billions. Yeah, that's a threat that that's a threat. And that would be the only thing about Libra that I think I could actually like is that, that it literally again, acts as a shield for Bitcoin. They see Libra as the threat. That way, Bitcoin can just keep on trucking on, man. So while they're swinging at Libra and swinging at Mark Zuckerberg, while they're getting backed into the corner, we got two fighting fish that are that are probably going to start fighting. And all we really have to do is sit back and wait. You know, we've been waiting a long time. We can probably wait even longer and we'll probably have to. So just keep that in mind. As JP Morgan CEO Diamond says, crypto companies, quote, want to eat our lunch. Well, Carson's wants to eat your sandwiches. So Daniel Coons writing 20, June the 28th, 2019 out of coindesk.com. JPM Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Diamond ind- <coughs> indicated in a recent interview with Yahoo Finance 
that he had not spoken with Facebook about the development of Libra. Quote, but it's very possible someone in the company did, end quote, Diamond said. Blockchain is real, he said, citing his company's foray into the space with JPM coin blockchain, and I think competition is real. Oh, man. For Diamond, cryptocurrencies bring disruption to the banking industry because they provide similar services that banks traditionally provided, like money transmission, clearinghouse activity, real-time payments. Though he adds... It's not an existential threat. Yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. We're, quote, we're going to have competitors, whether it's a cryptocurrency competitor or another fintech competitor. We're going to have competitors. I tell our people, don't guess. You know they're there. You know they're coming. You know they want to eat our lunch. Assume it, end quote. <laughs> I love Jamie. Whether it's a bank or a crypto service startup, Diamond said there are serious issues regarding the future of money. He believes some of these are caused by the government, specifically in determining whether they will be subject to banking regulations, KYC, the Bank Secrecy Act, and anti-money laundering rules. Man, it's a wonder we can actually conduct business at all. Jeez, y'all. Sympathetic to the crypto industry's desire to serve their clients, Diamond also said he'd, quote, want to be able to serve their clients, I always look at these blockchain systems like we're, sorry, I'm going to do that again. I always look at these blockchain systems like we'd like to do some of it too ourselves. My God, it's it, it's almost an, an unintelligible to read some of the things that he's saying. I mean, if that's a direct quote, I'd hate to have a discussion with this guy. I'm like, man, your use of the English language is, wow. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So enough of that. Uh, Jamie's feeling the heat. All right, so like Karsten's, um, you got Jamie Dimon, and and you can pretty much figure the rest of them are, are starting to feel some fairly serious pressure. They tried to laugh it all away. That didn't work, so they tried to point and ridicule it all away, and, well, that didn't work either. And nobody seems to give a shit, one, about the dinosaurs anymore because there's an alternative. That alternative is Bitcoin, so whatever. Uh, Michael J. Casey, also writing out of Coindesk, or no, this is out of Coindesk.com. He, Michael J. Casey is writing today that Bitcoin, Facebook, and the end of 20th century money. So, so let's strap in. There is never a dull moment in the world of blockchains and cryptocurrencies. The two earth-shattering stories of the past two weeks, the launch of the Libra project and the wild swings in the Bitcoin market, might seem like unrelated topics. And for the most part, the causal impact of the former on the latter is probably not much greater than that of other off-noted Bitcoin price correlations. (laughs) Um, However... The coincidence of these two developments does speak to how globally impactful Satoshi Nakamoto's invention has now become. From the wider perspective, these two developments are not at all unrelated. Indeed, they both capture elements of a massive worldwide financial transformation, all happening at a time of growing economic uncertainty. Whether now or in the future, I believe the arrival of Libra, far from being a competitive threat, will be extremely supportive of Bitcoin. Not only will the looming international debate over Libra elevate the conversation around cryptocurrencies and so draw more people into the most established of them, it also represents a major step toward the kind of world in which Bitcoin should thrive. Whether or not Libra succeeds, it confirms the inescapable reality that international money movements 
in the digital era, era will be based on blockchain-like solutions that disintermediate the existing gatekeepers and challenges the bank and sovereign money-dominated model of the 20th century. It also underscores how we are moving into an age of digital assets. And just as people sought out physical assets to protect their wealth from the vulnerabilities of the analog era's trust-dependent system by storing value in gold, for example, or in real estate, they will now seek out similar protection in digital assets with similar properties. Bitcoin is not described as digital gold for nothing. It offers a level of censorship resistance and isolation from the politization politicization of money that the corporate-driven Libra project cannot. I see mainstream global money movements in the next decade or so flowing through a mix of blockchain era stable money services that operate along a centralization to decentralization spectrum from JPM Morgan's JPM coin and the new Swift blockchain project at one end to Libra and more standard crypto stable projects such as Center, USDC and the other. But as those grow in usage, the demand for Bitcoin as the digital asset hedge of choice will also grow. So regardless of whether or not there is a causal relationship, the Libra announcement offers important context for the continued accelerated demand for Bitcoin. The surge of buying that saw it rally from around 7,000 on June 10th to a peak of just below 14,000 on Thursday last week. This wider transition in the world's money paradigm adds a dynamic new variable to what may be a serious global economic downturn. As with previous periods of global economic tensions, the current dicey state of United States-China trade relations is directly impacting monetary conditions and policy expectations. But this time it's happening at a time when cryptocurrencies and blockchains are looking like an alternative vehicle for people to manage the risks they face in this deteriorating environment. The trade war between the United States and China has spooked businesses and investors the world over, resulting in a surge of demand for traditional safe haven assets. A flood of demand into long-dated bonds has driven down their yields and led to an inversion of the United States Treasury yield curve, a market scenario that Wall Street has traditionally viewed as a harbinger of recession. That, in turn, has stoked expectations of monetary easing by central banks, most likely led by the European Central Bank, whose president Mario Draghi last week signaled the strong possibility of stimulus. Recalling the trillions of dollars, euros, and yen that were added to the world's base money levels during the quantitative easing era that accompanied and followed the global financial crisis and European debt crisis within the past decade, investors have once again started buying inflation hedges. And this time, it's not just traditional versions. Gold is up almost 10% in June. It's also the new one, Bitcoin, which is up almost 40%. Well, we shall see. The day is the day is young. More specifically, there is talk of capital flight out of China and Hong Kong, a pattern of behavior that naturally boosts interest in Bitcoin, if not outright demand. China's balance of payments is showing a very large errors and omissions component, traditionally an informal measure of how much renminbi is escaping through unofficial channels to bypass the limits that Beijing imposes on its citizens' purchase of foreign currency. Almost certainly, This is in part driven by Chinese manufacturers seeking to move their production operations offshore to places such as Taiwan to bypass the U.S. tariffs. Their ability to do so is more evidence of why this is such a harmful, ham-fisted policy by the Trump administration. But it's also likely coming from wealthy Chinese businesses and individuals who are simply looking to protect their funds in an uncertain environment. 
a group that these days includes Bitcoin miners. Meanwhile, the massive protests in Hong Kong, stoked by concerns about encroaching judicial oversight by the Chinese mainland, have also stirred talk that the territory's business class will move funds offshore. The bulk of that cap of flight capital will go into dollars, but even if a small part of it, spooked by the prospects of more quantitative easing from central banks, goes into Bitcoin, it can have an outsized impact on the price of the cryptocurrency. Certainly, volumes seen on the more data reliable crypto exchanges such as Coinbase's have shown surging demand. The wider point, however, is that the new round of global economic uncertainty is occurring at the same time that cryptocurrency and blockchains are establishing themselves as key elements of the emerging financial architecture of the world. In the financial crisis of 2008, nobody other than the small number of names on the cypherpunk mailing list to which Satoshi posted his white paper on October 31st of that year had any idea that this alternative model for the global finance existed. Now cryptocurrencies and blockchain are high of mind among banks, global companies, and regulators, with Libra, as I mentioned, playing no small role in elevating the technology's profile. I hate to say it, but maybe this time is different. (laughs) Okay, okay. So, you know, it is adoption. I mean, Michael's making some, some really, you know, really salient points here. And as much as I don't like Libra, I can't escape the fact that it really did throw cryptocurrencies right into the middle, the, the whole word. And that word is always going to be dominated by Bitcoin right into the center of the arena. And now the entire audience of the world is kind of looking at this thing going, wait a minute, what the hell is this? You know, I mean, we know what it is, right? You know, we've been, you know, most of us, we're not most of us. We've been in this for long enough that we get it. And we've been in the rabbit hole long enough that we understand what it can be. The only question is, will it be? And if so, you know, what's going to be the road to, to getting there? You know, I mean, uh, it may be sports. Uh, you know, here's an example of that. This is Connor uh, Bleckensop writing for Cointelegraph. <coughs> Crypto exchange renews sponsorship of Premier League team and prepares for U.S. expansion. CoinDeal says the extension of its deal with Wolverhampton Wanderers gives the company the chance to get its brand in front of football fans around the world. With its logo proudly displayed on the team's kit, the company estimates that its branding appeared on more than 350 million TV screens from June 28th to April April 2019. The collaboration has also extended to advertising that highlights CoinDeal's fast verification procedures, security, multiple payment methods, and top flight support team. One 40-second spot features some of the Wolves' best-known players, and the promotion has attracted more than 1 million views since it made its debut on the exchange's YouTube channel back in February. CoinDeal says this partnership has long been about more than raising publicity for the crypto industry and driving mainstream adoption. According to the company, the sponsorship opportunity has forged new friendships and given its staff a newfound passion for football, so much so that the team regularly cheered on the Wolves throughout the Premier League campaign as they rubbed shoulders with the likes of Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester United, and Liverpool. Caton Makovic, the co-founder of CoinDeal, said, After an amazing season, we really made it our priority to come back for this season to be once again global partners of the Wolves. We feel this partnership has been incredibly beneficial to both sides. We truly feel like family here. There's nothing better than game day in Wolverhampton. 
We try to be there as often as we can. Regardless, we always make sure to cheer on and follow all the games, even in the office. Oh, nice. They're watching football at work. <laughs> Sweet. Coin Deal says it has become the largest crypto fiat exchange in Europe size or since launching back in March of 2018, but isn't content, sit, content sitting still. Now the company is setting its sights on the United States. To begin with, CoinDeal plans to be available in 14 states. Ooh, Indiana, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Virginia among them. Huh, nice. With another 12 to follow in quick succession. The company believes its footprint in the United States will expand to 40 states by next year once all the necessary licenses has been acquired. Again, it's amazing that we can even do business. Explaining its motivation for going global, the exchange says it is keen to capitalize on statistics that suggest 40% of the United States population are open to the idea of cryptocurrency. Right now, CoinDeal claims that many existing exchanges are failing to meet the expectations of consumers, and the team believes there is an unparalleled, untapped potential of liquidity and potential traders who can benefit from their cutting-edge infrastructure. Alex, and there's no way I can pronounce this last name, Straczynski, I think. The exchange's business development director said, quote, the U.S. is the land of opportunity, and this may very well be the defining moment of our company's history, end quote. Hmm. CoinDeal says that it offers its user base more than 40 cryptocurrency pairs, that means 39 shitcoins, bring, bringing together Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin with major fiat currencies, including the euro, dollar, British pound, Polish Zlut, and Russian ruble. One, in, one intuitive feature enables the community to vote on which coins and tokens should be added next. And the company says this gesture enables everyone to take part in the growth of its trading platform. To coincide with its stateside launch, CoinDeal has also unveiled the debut of a number of utility tokens or a new utility token known as CDL. The company claims this token delivers higher liquidity, a great number of trading pairs, and the opportunity to benefit from lower trading costs, whatever. I don't care. What I do care about is the fact that somebody is going to jump through the hoops of getting licensed in 40 of the 50 states and however many territories that we have. Um, that's, I mean, if, they, if they're able to pull it off, that would be, you know, it'd be pretty impressive because, again, the United States has made dealing with the United States, the, the United States citizenry in a business-related you know, environment almost impossible. I'm surprised we're even able to conduct business amongst ourselves as United States citizens with the kind of licensure and regulations and all the garbage that you that you have to do because you not have to not only comply with all the federal regs, each particular state has their own flavor of 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 stupid, including Texas. If you've ever read through the Texas hunting laws, you'll see that there is a an enormous amount of stupid here in my home state. Not as stupid as a lot of other states, but you get my drift. So the fact that they're even going to jump through these hoops, man, that, I'm, that's going to take them a lot of energy. And, um, you know, best of luck to them, but still not a big fan of shitcoin trading, but adoption. There we go. So out of Cointelegraph.com, Helen Parts is writing South Korea's second biggest city, wants to create a local cryptocurrency. <laughs> I swear to God. Busan, South Korea's second most populi populous city after Seoul, is considering the launch of a local cryptocurrency. 
uh, Korean tech news publication ET News reports July the 1st. According to the report, Busan City authorities are seeking to develop a blockchain-based digital currency project in collaboration with BNK, Busan Bank, a subsidiary of local holding company BNK. BNK Financial Group, excuse me. Specifically, Busan is reportedly developing a crypto project in the form of a stablecoin, a cryptocurrency pegged one-to-one to the local currency in the BNK Busan bank account. By issuing a local digital currency, Busan expects to revive the local economy. <laughs> That's not going to do it. As well as to secure the leading position in blockchain, uh, the, the report notes. The news comes amid the upcoming establishment of South Korea's blockchain regulation-free zone, for which Busan was selected as the preferred bidder along with its competitor, Jeju Province, Province, as reported in April 2019. As a part of the potential designation, Busan is reportedly going to promote blockchain tech in multiple industries, as well as to provide a basis for cryptos, particularly including initial coin offerings. Stop it! In April, South Korea's Ministry of Small and Medium Businesses and Startups said that the government plans to provide extensive support if Busan develops its own blockchain-based cryptocurrency structure or token economy. Earlier in February 2019, Busan signed a memorandum of understanding with blockchain company Hyundai Pay, sorry, Hyundai Pay, with the purpose of promoting blockchain technology through contribution to the development of local ICT industry through mutual growth and related startup businesses. Previously, South Korea's government revealed plans to invest $3.5 million to create a blockchain-enabled virtual power plant in the city of Busan. Meanwhile, recently, major major local commercial lender KB Kunk Kookman Bank signed an agreement with blockchain tech firm Adam Riggs Lab to jointly explore digital asset management and protection solutions. So shitcoinery at city scale. All right. So shitcoinery at city scale. This is going, you're going to see more and more of this. So instead of ICOs um, being released by, you know, private firms, you're going to see shitcoinery move from that type of model to city. And I guess we could maybe say city state models kind of thing. So, you know, buckle up guys, ICOs are not going to die, or at least they should. I, I, I wish I, I can only hope and pray that ICO shitcoinery would stop, but I don't think it's going to, um, is it good for Bitcoin? Everything's good for Bitcoin, but still, you know, it's, it's distractions and whether or not the distractions are being set up on purpose to either, you know, hoist money from these people who are being distracted, um, or just so that Bitcoin doesn't grow as fast as, you know, as fast as it possibly could, if the distractions were removed, it doesn't, I guess it really doesn't matter what the answer is because the the distractions will remain. And our job is to remove distractions as best we can call out shit coinery. When we see it, call out shit coiners when we see them and be unrelenting as part of Bitcoin's immune system. So anyway, I'm sorry that this has been so choppy. Okay. This would, this, Today's performance sucks ass and I get it. I've had multiple phone calls and had to quiet down my kids like three times. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't like doing it, you know, heavily editing these shows because I like live. 
I really like live. And this is that even though that I do editing and clearly this isn't live. I've always liked the feel of live because live perform when I was in, <laughs> I was in a band man in another life. And when we were playing live, man, freaking the, the energy was so much different than when you canned it on tape and you were like kind of locked into like a, a room with, you know, with just your, your buddies and, you'd rehearse the song like I don't like we would rehearse the song about 40 times before we even look at it, look at a tape machine and then we'd tape it and then we'd you know and the only time that I got the feel of live was when I tricked the rest of the band into thinking that we were still rehearsing and not actually laying shit down to tape I had a little foot pedal because our tape machine was a Tascam like a, a cassette recorder like back in the day uh, we could record like four four tracks to tape, and so what I would do is I had a little foot pedal that would activate the uh, uh, the pause button, so I would keep it armed on record, and then I'd accidentally step on the thing when my bass player and anybody else wasn't looking, and those takes because they didn't realize they were being recorded were actually the best takes. I shit you not, man. Every single time that the whole crew knew that we were, that we were in record mode, the feel was different. So that's one of the reasons why I don't edit the show, which is also one of the reasons why uh, problems leak through, but life is real. And so is Bitcoin. That's going to do it for your morning roundup. Vital statistics brought to you by BitInfoCharts.com. No, they're not my sponsor. I have no sponsors. Bitcoin is at an average price right now of 10143 Looks like the high is going to be over at... Hmm, who's got it? Right, BTC. Oh, no. Bitfinex has got it at 10252 The low is going to be over at... It looks like GDAX at 10113 Okay, well, uh, 335,000 transactions were made over the last 24 hours, uh, giving an average transactions per hour number of about 14,000. 1.9 million BTC were sent over the last 24 hours with an average send per hour of 80,000 BTC. Average transaction value was 5.68 BTC, and the median transaction value is getting more normalized, 0.022 BTC or about $218 US. Block time's kind of a tick low, 9 minutes, 40 seconds. 0.77 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis. And over the last 24 hours, 114 BTC have been taken in total fees. We've had a drop of 9% in hash rate over the last 24 hours, but we're still riding above the 60 exahashes per second mark. Last uh, GitHub commit was yesterday sometime, <clears throat> and that means that somebody has, uh, a pull request has basically been committed to the core, either the core code or the, reposit the GitHub repository where the, where the core code is. A reminder that just because a pull request was committed doesn't necessarily mean it was committed to the code per se, and the code in air quotes, it could be like documentation correction. It could be like somebody said, Hey, you got a spelling error on this, you know, documentation or going through and, you know, like, it's not always about like somebody's, you know, throwing like a, a brand new feature into the actual 
shit that we would run on a node, right? So be aware when I say that, you know, yet another, you know, commit has occurred, you know, you, it's, we're not sure unless I go in and find out what that commit was. And I'm not going to do that because it's not worth it. Um, but just, just keep it in mind. It's not always about the code. Sometimes it's about the documentation, but the documentation is, is important. So we'll leave it there. Ethereum, 283, Litecoin at 116, Bcash at 391, BSV at 187, Ethereum Classic at $7.41, and Doge has dropped a bit to 0.0031. I kind of would have expected it to go to 0.0027 or 0.25. I'm kind of surprised that it's held its own. Um, it has no hope of catching up to the amount of transactions done on either of the shit coin forks. So there you go. There's your vital statistics. So Bitcoin has always been magical internet money. So here's the cars.
Okay. So it's train wrecked time. You know who it is. I mean, come on. Craig just made a f- complete mockery of the United States justice system and got his ass handed to him for it. So your daily train wrecked is being driven by Judge Reinhardt. Quote, you throw another document in my courtroom, you will be in handcuffs so fast your head will spin. Okay, so this this is a tweet. This that was a direct quote from Judge Reinhardt, but the tweet is coming out of a uh, thread from Carolina Bellotto, who was there at the court. Let's see what her thread has to say here. Craig Wright, the self-professed inventor of Bitcoin, is testifying today in a West Palm Beach federal courtroom about why he hasn't been able to produce the public addresses of the Bitcoin he's mined over the years. He says he just can't get this information and that public addresses wouldn't provide the plaintiff in this $10 billion suit against him with anything relevant. He choked up. Yeah, he cried. He choked up as he told of how he wanted to create a cryptocurrency that did not fall to crime, but that he was unsuccessful. Others he worked with started Silk Road and Hydra on which drugs, weapons, and child pornography are traded and sold. We're on break now. Cross-examination will begin after lunch. Just a few minutes into cross and things are getting testy. Ira Clemens. Uh, counsel is asking Wright about an email that Clemens says Wright forged. And then she gives a quote, uh, a a link to background on that. Wright accused Clemens counsel of committing perjury by putting this document, which is a printout of a PDF of an email before the court quote, you are provably misleading the court end quote. Wright said, Wright then tossed the document, which did not sit well with judge Reinhardt. That's where the you throw another document, you'll you'll be in head handcuffs. Okay, so continuing, they combed through the metadata of the email, and Wright kept insisting it's not an email, it's a PDF. Wright says Clemens counsel is trying to mislead the court, but the allegedly forged email in question was provided by Wright's team. Wright says this document was sent by his staff, who were at the time trying to force his company into liquidation. You want me to comment on a file from a server run by a person who was trying to force me into liquidation so they could sell my intellectual property. (laughs) Now we've moved to a line of questioning which puts the trust in which Wright put his Bitcoin. Clemens Council, a company you didn't buy until 2014 is listed as a beneficiary of a trust you claim to have created in 2012? Wright, you have put forth documents I don't recognize. (laughs) Friedman is the lawyer here. Friedman says, documents you produced in discovery. This is a recurring theme. Wright says he doesn't recognize several documents, and Clemens' counsel points out that his side is the one that produced them. (laughs) Oh, my God. So Wright has explained that he needs at least 8 of 15 key slices in the right order to access the Bitcoins in his trust. Bear with me here on the technical stuff. I'm a legal reporter. Friedman, the Clemens counsel, he asks, who holds the 15 key slices? Wright, I hold some. I don't know off the top of my head. End quote. Wow. Friedman, who else holds them? Wright, I haven't looked at the file. No one asked me to look at the file. End quote. 
Friedman then pointed out that he had been asked to produce the public addresses. Didn't he think to try to track down who holds the keys? So the judge took over questioning here. Wright explained that he gave some keys to Dave Kleeman and directed him to give them to a bonded, uh, give them to bonded couriers. Some of the keys won't be made available until 2020. Judge, quote, so since 2016, you have known that you didn't have access to these files and wouldn't have access until 2020. And you knew this in February 2019 and March 2019, end quote. The judge didn't say anything more about this, but the clear implication was that he would have liked to hear about this before today. Kleeman's counsel has rested. We're on a break now. Before we go to redirect, this definitely will not be over today. Trying to finish up with Wright, but we'll have to come back another day for testimony from expert witnesses. So that's the end of, of that particular thread. And Carolina's got some more. She's got some stuff on Law 360, but to read it all, you have to register, and I'm not going to do that. So, you know, we'll have to see there's probably there's, you know, this will all be disseminated and somebody will write a really, really good article about it, you know, pretty soon. Um, until then, we'll we'll have to wait. Um, a, a couple of things about this is that um, and I can't remember who maybe it was Pirate Pi, uh, Beach Bum. I can't remember. There's a couple of people that were started, you know, going, well, wait a minute. If he has never had access to those keys, then what about the whole key signing thing in the whole Gavin Andreessen fiasco, the, the, what do they call that? The, uh, boondoggling, uh, whatever. Um, in 2015, if he didn't have, have, what was he using if he didn't have these keys? And some apologists have come back saying that he was, I don't know, maybe signing with block, something like between blocks one and one and 70. It's, it's, it's a mess. The whole thing is a freaking, just a frightening mess. So I don't, you know, where's it going to go? I don't know, but clearly one of the things that, that I have a major issue is, is the following. Craig broke down in court and started crying because his quote unquote invention was used for drugs, assassination markets, and child pornography. So he left because, you know, let's say child pornography. Well, we know that there's child pornography that's been embedded in those massive freaking blocks that they have because, you know, an image is, is a pretty, pretty intense amount of information. And you, you really wouldn't want to do that on the Bitcoin blockchain because small blocks. There's, and even if you could, there's not a whole lot of room there to put in, you know, child porn or, or high definition movie piracy or anything like that because, you know, blocks are small and fees. You know, I'm not going to waste my money putting something like that on, you know, in, in like even if I was able to somehow or another break the file apart, like with, uh, oh, what do they call that? WinRAR. You know, in the back in the day when you could chop the, you know, a, a big file up into many little pieces, I'm not going to spend the time putting them all on the blockchain so I can say, hey, look, when I reconstruct the data that I inserted in blocks, you know, whatever to whatever, it's an image of child porn. I'm not going to waste my time. And most people aren't going to do that either. And the fees are, you know, I'm not going to pay for that. But it's really cheap to put high definition movies and, and, and child pornography on the BSV chain. All right at least right now, and hopefully it will just die. But now there's child porn on BSV. So if he left Bitcoin, his quote unquote invention, 
Because child porn, how come he's not leaving BSV for the same reasons? You know, that there's an ethical disconnect there. And it's not really an ethical disconnect. He's lying because he's a fraud. So there you have it. Anyway, your smoldering pile, you know, given to you by Judge Reinhardt and Carolina Bolato. And we want to thank both of them for calling out Craig's intense amount of bullshit. Terrible Joke Corner is brought to you by a couple of people. One is Coin Laughs at C-O-I-N-L-A-F-F-S. He is the reason that you're getting this joke today because he brought it to my attention on Twitter. And I always enjoy getting stuff from other other people. Uh, I really do. And this is a true gem. This is uh, on uh, Bunchu, B-U-N-C-H-U's. Uh, no, it's Bunchu Bets. Uh, at B-U-N-C-H-U-B-E-T-S. I dropped seven pounds recently. Needless to say, I was politely asked to leave the baptism. Yeah, buddy. That's a gem right there, man. You got to... That's sort of like a joke grenade where you kind of pull the pin and throw it. You know, it takes a while to sink in. that's one of my all-time favorite kinds of jokes is where it doesn't, the the punchline doesn't get you right away and you actually have to spin some neurons. And as those neurons are spinning up, you finally get the joke and it's like this delayed reaction. There's something about that feel of reacting to a joke that um, only a very few kinds of jokes can actually do. And, and this is one of them because you're like, you're going, what the hell? It's like, oh, seven pound baby. Uh, yeah. So anyway, there's your, there's your joke corner again. Thank you. Coin laughs. I, I appreciate it, man. It is Monday. We're in a bloodbath. It's going to be okay, guys. It's going to be okay. We've been through it before. We're going to go through it again. Fear is here. That's the same shit. So again, Like I was saying on Friday, let it be a battlefield. Let it be a training ground. Let it be something that makes you stronger, makes you better, makes you smarter. Grow that thick skin, and I'll see you guys on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.